Howdy Pardoners. That's how they always spell it, isn't it? Pardoner. Um, not par- not a pardoner as in the medieval sense. P-A-R-D-N-E-R. Howdy Pardoner. Not par- Pardoner would be, be... That'd be a good crossover, actually. A kind of someone going around selling bogus saintly relics, knuckle bones, etc. in the Wild West. Would it be good? I don't know. Hi, I'm Tim Clare and um, today's episode is the first ever recorded live episode of Death of a Thousand Cuts recorded on the 2nd of May at Foils on Charing Cross in London. Um... What to say about this episode? Well, first, it's me and the the uh, lovely, uh, shrewd and um, nuanced yet compassionate author and poet, uh, Joe Dunthorne. Um, he was one of the first people I had on the show as a guest and he's been on. This is his fourth appearance now, I think. So it was really, really nice to have him there for the first one. Um, Joe's somebody who... You know, I grew up with as a writer, really, like in terms of we did lots of writing workshops together. We looked at each other's work. So it was really, really nice to have him there to join me on stage for the first time. If you listen to the episode, I start off quite nervous. Not that I've not been on stage before. I've been on, I've done hundred, literally over a thousand live gigs in my life now. Um, but it's been a while because I've been dadding and I genuinely didn't know what to expect. So like, you know, I start off quite nervous. I don't know. I think I just thought it would be like doing a normal podcast, right? And then I'm, and then there's like a room full of people, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> Which is like, I know it sounds like the dumbest thing ever, right? Why wouldn't you expect there to be people? Well, I didn't expect there to be that many people actually. I just assumed nobody would turn up because. You know, I mentioned it on Twitter, like, hey, guys, who's coming? Trying to sound like super chipper and boosterish. And there'd be crickets or people going, I wish I could, but I live on the other side of the world, which is fair enough. Right. Why would why would you come to the live gig when you could just listen to it later on? So it was then imagine my delight and surprise when loads of people turned up in London um, for the gig. You can imagine it. It was really big delight and surprise. And imagine my then above that incredible delight and surprise when all of you who came were lovely and enthusiastic and let us chat about grammar and really, really gnarly deep cuts on sentences for over an hour. I, I was just really, really grateful that you indulged us and it felt like being amongst friends because I guess it was. Um, We got to talk about writing and really geek out and I really enjoyed the record, enjoyed recording this episode. And then I got to speak to people afterwards and I've had lots of lovely emails from listeners. And so I don't mean to sort of... I knew that you were out there and I see the numbers. I know people are listening but there was something, and I don't mean to get all gushy, but I think if I don't, then I'll just... I, it sounds like I'm being trying to be super cool about it, and I'm I'm not. I think sometimes it's appropriate to sometimes go, wow, I feel really lucky. I know it can... I know some people roll their eyes and go, oh, you're being all hashtag blessed. 
I'm being completely sincere when I say it, I was just it was just a really weird experience to meet people who listen to this podcast who were to a person really nice intelligent just like lovely people which is flattering in itself right to meet people who listen to the podcast and they're all great <laughs> that's like that not to sort of steal away their glory but like that reflects well on me that they weren't all coming in and like chewing on the head of a recently live kitten um pushing people over and farting i don't have a problem with farting is not fair to put in with that category of kitten chewing and assaulting people if you fart that's fine um but it was really nice to chat to all these people who listen to the podcast and you know in the signing queue afterwards i got to speak to people who've worked through the couch 20k writing boot camp and that was just amazing and somebody had come over from the Netherlands just for the gig which was just like what and she felt like it had been worth her while which was lovely and everyone was really nice and I just went away with this I'd, I'd been so nervous in the lead up to the gig because you know I felt like this was you know it's my launch night I'd sort of said I wanted to do one and you know, have been warned, gently warned by my publisher and agent. You know, you know, sometimes not many people turn up to these things. You've got to be, you know, it's not always worth it. Um, and I said, I still like to try. I, I think we could get some people there. And so leading up to it, I was feeling like if no one turns up, I'm going to look like the kind of like arrogant cock of an author who's like, I, yeah, I want, I want to launch, I want to launch, and then we organise it, and and no one shows. And I look like a prat. And I think actually lots of the authors I've spoken to on the show have had, you know, signing experiences where no one turns up. I've done I've done gigs to three people and had a whale of a time, right? But it's just when other people have made the effort to put this thing on for you. I wanted it to go well. And then like loads of people turned up and it was lovely. And then they were warm and I just had a great time. I guess what I'm trying to say is thank you. Uh, whether you were able to come last thursday or not thank you for listening to the podcast thank you for supporting me and what i do here thank you for writing which sounds odd but i think i'm going to record another episode actually talking about this but just i'm starting to realize that my um philosophy on writing and what we do is perhaps by necessity but is um is sort of collectivist I think you know in 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 paradigm I I don't I'm less interested in the sort of myth of the lone author and more thinking about how we can be a community and work together and I just felt like the people who listen to this podcast are really lovely and they're people I'm proud to be associated with and people I'm really happy to call my writing peers you know part of a, a group that I write with is how I kind of look at you and if you don't write I don't want this to I'm not trying to shame you into writing if you're not writing at the moment if you're not quite writing yet please don't feel like I'm saying 
everyone who listens to this is three quarters of a way through a novel because that's what real writers do wherever you are in your journey whether you are still only half considering that you might try piddling about with one or two things in a journal in sometime in the future or whether you are several books in wherever you are however successful or not successful on whatever scale you have for success you know i just want to say if you'd like to be part of this if you'd like to join me if you'd like to you know be part of the show and then then this is your show as well you know uh do stay in touch send me messages of stuff you'd like me to cover stuff people i could get on the show stuff i could talk about and 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 let's you know i'd like this to continue to be a growing resource all the previous episodes just become this great archive excuse me this great archive and trove of knowledge Uh, and and not i don't sorry that sounds like i'm bigging myself up i do actually think that i've you know given some stuff of value but at, at the same time there's also lots of chats with other authors and after a while you know there's over 150 episodes now after a while that actually becomes this huge free resource that didn't exist before i sat down and started doing this that anyone as a writer can dive into and it will just make your life as a writer easier uh whether it's dealing with the psychological side of it you know helping you write more better and be happier while you do it i think all those things are sort of different legs of the stool and without any one of those it's you're going to at least at the very least wobble but if you can be happy you'll write better and more if you write more then the training will help you write, help you write better and you'll feel happier because you're being productive and if you write better then you'll be encouraged to write more and you'll feel happy because you'll have done something well so all of them all of them feed into one another it's worth my saying that because this is a live episode obviously the sound quality isn't quite of the creamy velvety smooth quality that you are used to and frankly spoiled by but nonetheless i think it's generally comprehensible it's largely audio based occasionally we had a big screen behind us um we, me and joe were sat up on a stage feeling i, I think a bit, a bit weird because we were that elevator or at least i was i'm sure joe was very comfortable about it he usually is um but we had a big screen on with the pieces we were discussing projected but we read them out in the tr- traditional manner um and occasionally you know we threw to the audience after each one uh uh, there was a roving mic, but occasionally it didn't reach people in time, or their mic technique, you know, as civvies, was uh, less than stellar. They were wonderful people, but then there's no reason why they should um, be any good. I've been performing for, you know, a good 15 years now, and my technique is uh, often shit. But um, anyway, so that that will account for the occasional... Uh, dip in sound but aside from that i think you should be able to um follow anything else to say well mainly thank you to everyone who's um bought a copy of the ice house so far it's been out a week uh there's a there's just been a review in the guardian that was very very nice about it um i'm you know i don't really know how it's doing in terms of sales and i think it's probably not worth my hand ringing about that because it's largely out of my control but if you haven't got yourself a copy yet there's links in the show notes uh you can help yourself or you can, if you live in the uk south africa or um australia you can just go into a bookshop and uh, buy one uh 
but thanks everyone who's uh you know bought one and if you've read it and you've like reviewed it on amazon or on uh any you know like goodreads or just you know posted about it or shared it or everyone you know who's shared a picture on instagram really appreciate that um i know it's sort of a bit you know i don't mean to go on about it but it does make a huge difference especially in these days where there's less print media let much less coverage given to the arts books kind of live or die on people talking about them and saying hey you should check this out so i just not wanting to paint myself as too pathetic a character but i really appreciate everyone who's sort of gone out of their way to make a fuss about it oh that's the other thing to mention in case you haven't got enough of me listening to me on this podcast um i've just been on scroobius pip's podcast distraction pieces uh his immensely successful uh podcast where he chats to all sorts of people mainly people just he just finds interesting so i was lucky enough to be one of those people and we had a chat uh a a bit about writing and some of the stuff i've talked about on this show in terms of inspiration and beating procrastination and you know i summarized some of the stuff i've learned from talking to authors and talking from to scientists etc but we also got into talking about anxiety as well, and um, it was a good chat. So if you just search Tim Clare Screwers Pip, or if you just go on the Distraction Pieces website, again, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can listen to that and hear me being interviewed uh, for once. Um, it, he was, I had a really nice chat with him, and it was um, it was it was uh, it was great fun. And I'm just I'm really kind of relieved that people seem to have dug it you know and people have been talking about it and um that's just that's lovely and if you happen to be someone who listened to that chat who's now listening to this podcast hello welcome uh i sometimes go quite deep on on grammar uh i hope you will uh i hope you'll stick with me through that uh and yeah just uh welcome to the club Okay, so here's the first ever live episode of Death of a Thousand Cuts recorded at Foils um, with me and Joe Dunthorne. Enjoy. This is going to be the first ever live recorded episode of the Death of a Thousand Cuts podcast. Thank you very much for... um, One person did a kind of restrained cheer there. The rest of you... (laughs) Great. That's okay. That's okay. I'll take kind of like pity cheers. That's lovely. Um, basically, it is, so we're going to... Basically, the format of this evening is me and Joe will talk a tiny little bit, and then we're going to go into... We've had some subs. Some people have sent us some first pages of their presumably unpublished work, and we're going to go through it, give our feedback, and then we'll throw to you, the audience, and you're very welcome to kind of like chip in with your thoughts about it. I'm very excited. Um, I'm just going to, I hope I don't set anything off here, but I've got, as some of you, if you listen to the podcast will know, I've got an anxiety disorder um, that makes me like slightly flappy. It's not um, a personal kind of like indictment of you as as, as human beings. I'm sure you're very nice. I don't feel personally threatened by you, but I just need to do this. um, And now I feel okay. So, (laughs) and then we're going to jump into it. And uh, thank you. Can I just, um, I'll... I'll do the introduction first, and then that will give me a sense of spurious authority. And then we'll kind of like roll into it, but then I'll have kind of like completed the kind of, it's almost like a kind of ritualised transformation from kind of like what I'm trying to project at the moment, which is kind of like um, beleaguered newsagent energy um, into my... And would you believe it? 
what a time for me to have laser eye surgery and no, and no longer. I, I had it done a month ago, for those of you who've never had laser eye surgery done before. It is, um, people lied, it's extremely painful. <laughs> it's, like, it's like being, it, it's like, like having sort of like, a, like be, having like chilies in your eye for eight hours. <laughs> it's really painful because they put a scalpel in your eye, right? And, and sorry, bad way to start the. <laughs> like, why am I doing it? Anyway, I'll go into the intro, Joe, and then I'll. Um... Hello, and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, and this is a show about writers, about readers, and for anyone who is interested, has a morbid fascination in how the story sausage is made. On this show, we have three, count them, yes. Three main planks to our manifesto. One, to help you write more. Two, to help you... Traditionally, two is... I mean, this is something, a, a visual gag that won't work on the audio, but um, <laughs> for those of you listening at home, I represented the second two. Traditionally, is you show them all on the same hand when you're counting out with fingers. I switched to a second hand, which is, like, again, is, is kind of indicative of a lot of the um, ways I break with convention <laughs> in my new novel, The Ice House. <laughs> One... Seamless. Like, uh, there'll be loads of... If you liked that segue, boy, uh, strap in. Uh, so one, um, we're going to help you write more. Two, we're going to help you write better. And three, we're going to help you be happier as you do so. Now, today is the first ever live recording of the show, and I am not alone, or at least if I am, then I'm having a <laughs> florid psychotic breakdown. But if assuming that I, I'm not alone, um, I'm joined on stage by um, my dear friend and a hugely talented author and poet, Joe Dunthorne. May I ask for a round of applause for Joe? <laughs> How are you feeling, Joe? So, um, uh, me and Joe uh, go uh, way back and we've spent uh, much time in, we've been in writing workshops together. You know, it's actually probably about 20 years. Yeah. I know. It's like, it's <laughs> sickening, no, right? It's coming on. It's, uh, it's 17 or something. 17. Yeah. We're coming up to the uh, big 20-versary. So we've had, uh, we've, we've got some submissions here that we're going to go through in a minute. But I thought before we go into that, I just want to slightly lay the ground, right? Because... The purpose of this, right, I want this to be, like, a, fre a friendly space, um, a safe space, if you will. Um, the, we're not going to be um, roasting people's pieces tonight. The idea isn't to kind of, like, just, like, flay people alive for their, for their work. The idea is that we are looking for ways to make stuff better. Um, we are not in any way judging the authors. We are judging the pieces in front of us. Um, what's your experience, Joe, of like turning up at the coalface of <coughs> writing um, every, every day and having to like put stuff down? Because I, I just want to like, we're just before we get into stuff, I just think we, we can, if we like talk about our, us being writers first, then we're, we're, this is clearly like peer to peer rather than us being like, hey, Welcome to the kind of like the gurus, these kind of like weird, like I've completed my transformation from, yeah, like kind of like haggard dad into um, sort of like slightly manic word druid. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 want, I want us to kind of like make sure that we're all, all friends. So what has been your experience of like turning up and trying to write like a first draft and get something, work something up into a kind of like sh shape? Well, I just... 
to slightly answer your question and not answer it. I'm, just, I'm just looking at your, you know, is, is it published today, your book? Yeah, yeah, uh, the Ice House is out today. Thank you for Sorry, that. Sorry. That <laughs> so, I, I genuinely didn't mean to... Um, Team me up so beautifully. <laughs> no, I'm appreciative. I will, I will avoid that for now. But um, <clears throat> is that weird thing of, you know, Tim's holding his beautiful object that he's, like, if you just looked, you'd imagine, well, actually, no, if you looked at Tim, you'd know that he'd worked really hard and, and struggled. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I've, been, been, I've been teetotal for about five and a half years now, and the best insult I ever got was from our mutual friend, Mark Grist, who uh, said on stage, it's funny, Tim, you don't look like somebody who stopped drinking. <laughs> <laughs> reasonable but, but, the, but the point is your book looks perfect and reading it feels perfect and there's that weird uh, disconnect between uh, having n knowing you well and having known how much work went into the book and how much editing and how much pain and trauma work it, it's, it's just a strange thing that you turn up on publication day and you're like, ta-da, this was easy and I'm really happy. Um, and in fact, it's almost always the other way around. It was like passing a pine cone. It <laughs> really, really was. Yeah, I think, I think that's... Uh, it's, it, it's really... So, the cla so this is my second novel and the classic thing that people have talked about uh, on the podcast when I've spoken to other authors is the... Uh, v. E. Schwab called it the sophomore slump. When you go into the second book and you suddenly... First book, you had your whole life to write. Second book, you write feeling like it's... Like you've got an audience for the first time. And they've also been invited into the room with you. And, like, actually, I, for the first time, had people who I might let down with the first book. If it was crap, like, it just would just die in a cupboard somewhere. Like, it would be, it would just take it away and it'd be humanely destroyed. <laughs> with, the, with the second one, you suddenly feel like, oh, there's like, feels like there's like living characters that you could just like mangle their lives and write bad fanfic of. And like, and, and so, especially because it's following on from the first book. So I did feel that. And then of course you finish it and you forget all of that. And then you start writing a new one and you go, why? Have I lost the touch to just like write this spontaneously? Right. Yes. And it's like no. Write these perfect first pages because you never were able to. Yeah, that's right. I always remember finishing the second novel, feeling like I'd really gone through the fire, and I was now a, going to be a novelist who could do it. And my novelist friend, who was much further down the line, said, "Oh, have you not heard it? it no, it's not the difficult second novel. It's the difficult third novel." <laughs> yeah. and, and I feel like that just repeats and repeats and repeats. But have yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly, yeah, like, it's, it's like I'm, um, my daughter's two at the moment, and I was like, I said to someone, I oh, like, we're going through the terrible twos at the moment, so we're looking forward to that being over, and they said, oh, no, it's not terrible twos. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's uh, the, you looking out for the three-nager. <laughs> I was, oh, really? Like, so every, at every stage you'll have someone telling you why it's going to get worse, and I, actually I think the agreed-upon thing by most novelists is, oh, it just gets, it just gets uh, worse and worse forever. Fornado? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I'm going to, I'll just read a little bit. So um, probably throughout the course of this evening, there will be pressure explicit and subtle placed upon you to buy mine and Joe's books, which are um, over in the, the corner there. Um, that will be lovely. Uh, I'll be signing. Joe's got some copies of his new um, poetry collection, O Positive. Um, it'd, it'd be lovely if you want to do that. But um, aside from that, um, we won't mention it. But I would just thought I'd start off by reading, um, like the first. I thought it'd be like worth like teeing stuff up by reading the first page 
of the ice house. Not to kind of say, like, this is how it's done, but just so we've got, like... I mean, this is something that I've worked on for ages. I had people look at, I had an editor look at, I had my agent look at, I had a proofreader look at, I had beta readers look at. So it's been through various kind of, like, uh, gauges of sieve, but... I thought it'd be like a worthwhile way of um, starting. And also because me and Joe, Joe were talking about this in the green room, a few people in the early reviews have gone, oh, like, like it seems like Tim Clare's writing in a kind of new weird style, a bit kind of China Mievely. And I was like, why are people like comparing me? To, I wasn't offended, but I was just like, that seems an odd comparison that various people have alighted on that. And then I opened a copy of The Iron Council and I was like, oh, that's because my first line is one letter different to his first line <laughs> from The Iron Council. I think people are just going, oh, that's it's called copying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I've copped to it on, on the book. I think like the opening line of, uh, of Iron Council is a really good opening line. And um, that's why I um, adapted it. Um, <laughs> So this is, the, this is just the first uh, page, because all of these subs that we've got are like the first 250 words, basically the first page of people's books. They're the shop window, they're the bit that you sit down, they're the, the chance to kind of like make, I guess, your opening bid for somebody to jump in and a reader to go, why the hell should I read this? So that's kind of like, I just thought it'd be good, good to, to, to show how I attempted to do this, and also to show like, like we, we've all got to have a go at this at some stage. Okay, a man burns. He stands at the foot of a mountain. Ropes of flame lap up his naked body. Fat drips and smokes. As he burns, he heals. Hagar watches from the shadow of the church. She registers his torment with a slight tightening of the jaw. Her three centuries have not numbed her to suffering, but it is a familiar pain, a punch working the same bruise. Still, she has never seen a peer with gifts quite like his. Who is he, she says. The angel stands beside her, his slender body wreathed in vapour. He smiles winsomely. My dearest friend, his name is Gideon. The angel's calmness makes her belly clench. There are bodies in the river. Blood gluts the shadows. How can he be so serene? And Sarai? Gone, says the angel. What? How? Her kidnapper fled with her into the jungle. He managed to evade all our troops. He's very ingenious. Then it's over. The angel chuckles softly. How quickly your faith evaporates. But everything rests on her. Arthur, we need her. So that's my first page. Um, and I, shall we just jump into the first Yeah, let's do page? it. I just want to say, like, we'll, we'll, just do our, we'll just talk about it a little bit. And then once we've done that, if you guys have got any thoughts, we can throw out to you. Don't like do that thing. It's not like audience participation if you're like losing the will to live. Like if no one's got any thoughts about it, that's fine. Um, but like just in case you've got some stuff, we're going to like chuck up the uh, extracts on the screen here, and um, we'll just like give our thoughts. But again, like the great struggle of all art is to speak the truth without stating the obvious. And first pages are hard because you're creating a world essentially ex nihilo, especially if you're a new author, right? There's not even any expectations about what kind of storyteller you are. They, the reader might have a cover, they might have a title, 
that's pretty much it. You're, there's just like this void that a story starts emerging from, and your first sentence immediately brings all this stuff in truck. It carries a huge amount of semantic freight. It suggests genre. It suggests all these different things. So like, what these people are doing is like rigging hard, right? So I want to acknowledge that from the beginning and say we are not all of you here tonight, I'm so glad that you're here, and I, 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 you are all wonderful, valuable human beings, deeply worthwhile. Your worth is completely inalienable, and you're wonderful. So if these are not successful at first, as first pages, it is in no way a reflection it's not a referendum on that person's right to live. Like, they, they, you are all great people, and whether you wrote these or not, um, you, are, you know, you're wonderful. Like, I, for, look, like, Jeffrey Archer has written dozens uh, of novels. He is, as a human being, worthwhile and valuable. I do not think his uh, novels have largely contributed to my sense of him as being a good person. If you're asking, Tim, why would you pick out Jeffrey Archer? That seems a little <laughs> bit bad. Well, because my first money that I ever received from writing was from Jeffrey Archer. Uh, Ten pounds of his money in the Western Supermare ghost story competition when I was 12. Um, he donated 10 pounds of Jeffrey Archer's money. A, a generous benefactor who says that trickle-down wealth doesn't work. <laughs> Low taxes and he 10 whole pounds to a child for the sake of literature. Closes libraries, but um, 10 pounds. Um, but, um, and then later, in the noughties, if you remember those heady days, um, I went on a reality TV show and met Geoffrey Archer, and he said to me that he wanted his 10 pounds back. Um, we, <laughs> He's like such a, like, why would you, what, that, the, he, and, and, I, and, and look, all I'll say is that, like, I, that, I put that in a, I, in a book I did with Ebri, We Can't All Be Astronauts, I called Jeffrey Archer an arse-countenanced hack, and that got through the libel read. So <laughs> all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, it seems to me that, like, lawyers could not find any, no court of law in the land We'd, uh, we'd, we'd prosecute you for that. So can we have the first one up on screen, please? Um, so I'm just going to read out people's first names um, for these as-is traditional on the show, and then we will, um, I'll read out the piece, and then me and Joe will talk a little bit about... It is, it, it's worth saying it is formatted properly. Yeah, yeah right? oh, yeah, these, these screens, um, we've just, like, squeezed stuff on, but, like, the people who've sent stuff have, like put stuff in paragraphs and stuff. This is just so we can fit stuff on screen. So this is a piece, um, I think it's untitled, by John. And uh, I'll just read it out. Out in the wood behind the house, Tobias Bloom was bleeding. This, he determined, was an inconvenience that would, if improperly managed, disrupt his thirst for revenge. Filthy and exhausted, he slumped beneath the limb of an oak and pondered the bullet lodged in his arm. It was late now. Dusk flooded between the trees, drowning the wood in darkness. Jackdaws tumbled overhead, jack-jacking in the last of the light. Oak and elm gave way to yews, hoarding the coming night like old guilt in the mind. Tobias composed his thoughts and realised he must never be found. This he knew above all else. If the policemen came to Appledore Hall, they would think it was he that killed Lord Faraday. If the drovers caught him, they would shoot him on sight. 
In record time, Tobias concluded that buckshot would not help matters. Then another thought struck. No one would believe the butler, of all people, would set out to avenge his master. A gentleman of standing, in the twilight of his life, resigns to his duties with fierce dignity. Was he now aligned with bloody retribution? Above his head, a slight waft of air, such as you would get a coy Georgian's lady, such as you would get a coy Georgian lady's fan at a ball. An owl was aloft. Far ahead, he heard the cattle moving, ranches crackling and the slow drumbeat of hooves. He too must be subtext now, something present but unseen. The body would be found soon, and he would be long gone. Joe, what are hmm. your initial thoughts? Um, my initial thoughts are that I really like the opening. Um, it feels really direct, and it introduces, like, if we look at that second sentence, or let's read the first two again. Out in the wood behind the house, Tobias Bloom was bleeding. This, he determined, was an inconvenience that would, if improperly managed, disrupt his thirst for revenge. So you get, I guess, a punchy and very direct uh, bit of scene setting, and then you establish the voice, like, the if improperly managed. Feels like a nice little performative moment that gives us character. You know, he's, a, he's bleeding from a bullet wound, but he's got time in his head to uh, give a little flourish of kind of archaic language, um, <laughs> which I really liked. And then I also... Do, do you want to talk about it, or should we... Yeah, no, I, I, I like... So did you think that the... There's some capitalised words that you, people won't have heard in the reading. Wood is capitalised and house. Um, is... Like, I don't know enough about kind of, uh, like, I guess, like, Regency style. That's what... I felt like it was like a nod towards something archaic. Right. Um, I wasn't sure whether it was deliberate. Like, the names of the trees are capitalised. Mm. I wasn't sure whether, like, I was supposed to be, like, getting a sense of era from that. To be honest, it slightly threw me, like, having to deal with house and wood as uh, proper nouns, as well as Tobias Bloom. Um, yeah, yeah t totally. I, I just found that distracting. I, I guess it's very possible that across the course of a novel, those capitalizings will reveal themselves as pertinent and, and, and important. That, but that's quite like, but that's uh, like reading a first page and going, no, exactly. Maybe, no, but I like the idea that you're going, well, maybe across. Maybe well, this is going to pay off. Well, like, of course, but that's... That's <laughs> always a bad sign to me, though. I'm like, I, I know what you mean, but like, that's always a bad sign when I'm starting to read a first page going... Well, that's what you said about... But, but you talked about it. I don't know that thing of the faith you get. If it's your... If, you know, you published a successful novel, it's your third novel, and you capitalise random words in your first sentence. You know, if like Ian McCune does it in his next book, people are like, nice. That's a bold, that's a bold look. Like, what, what's McEwen doing? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, that is true. That is completely true. Uh, and then we have, so but what we have to acknowledge is that, like, if someone hasn't got that cushion of goodwill, yeah. that someone goes, well... I don't know this person. Yeah. And therefore... I, like, I know Capital... I know it seems like a... Like, anyone who hasn't heard the podcast before, like, I know it seems going to see, like... Nigg niggles about capitalization seems like a weird early hill to die on but like i honestly i will go to the mat for like 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 odd formatting and again it's just those little things they're like when someone is djing and the record skips like it seems churlish to go 
and the record skips. What a... I'm walking out. <laughs> but, like, it only has to happen a couple of times, and it does kind of bum out the mood of the room, right? And, like, it's just, like, these things, if you're not completely in control of it, and if the reader isn't, if there's not the perception of you being in control of it, mm. it the reader can go, oh, I'm reading a book. Mm. And you don't want them to do that, even though they clearly are. <laughs> um, look, yeah, so I agree with you. Out in the wood behind the house, Tobias Bloom was bleeding. So we end, primacy recency effect, right? We get this little um, uh, adverbial clause at the beginning that sets position, but actually it's full of simple words. So even though it's slightly complex, the word, like, wood house, easy, right? Tobias Bloom, we've introduced a protagonist. Cool, right? Like, so I, 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 you know, like it's conventional, but I like convention for a reason. I know Tobias Bloom is the guy we care about. And Tobias Bloom actually has got like a very clear lexical set as well. That like suggests class. It suggests that we might be in England or something like that. And then was bleeding. Cool, right? Right, we, we've got something, we've got conflict. He's bleeding. He's presumably unhappy about that. But, you know, it's, it's not... <laughs> It, this isn't going to be like a gentle story. It's kind of given us a sense of like tickles of genre, right? This isn't yep. going to be like a, a, a nice story about like a, he a hedgehog who has to like <laughs> fix his tractor so he can like plow the kind of like his little garden. Um, <laughs> that sounded like weird innuendo. I don't know. What, um, so this he determined was an inconvenience that would, if improperly managed, disrupt his thirst for revenge. Here's, here's my little pettiness of the day and if I'm nitpicking right that to me is a sign that the sentence is mostly sound do you think it would kill the mood if you we cut out thirst for so if improperly managed disrupt his revenge right because like isn't the point that it's going to disrupt him acting on his revenge not that he's just gonna not want to take revenge is like, oh, you, I just, mm. it's just like, this is a first line, every word counts, and you just, like, take that out. I like the phrase thirst for revenge, but there's a lot of function words in that second sentence. This, he, was, an, that, would, if, his, for. Like, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, um, sorry, uh, not function words. Uh, I do mean, yeah, they're function words. Nine function words, and then one, two, three, four, five, six content words. Mm. So, the, like, for those of you who aren't deep in the bullshit like me, right, function words are um, grammatical words. They make up about 95% of all utterances that we have. A lot of them come out too fast for us to, like, perceive as human beings, um, and they're processed by um, this part of the brain called Broca's area. And um, I'm going to do a tiny bit of neuroscience, but not very much this evening, Joe. I can see you, like, warning eyes. I know it's, I know it's dull. I know it's dull, right? And then uh, content words are your nouns. So, like, you know, have you guys heard of Phineas Gage, the um, guy who was working on the railroad, and he slammed his... Um, he blew up a thing of dynamite with his um, sledgehammer and fired, like, a railroad spike through his prefrontal dorsolateral cortex. And um, th that's how we discovered what parts of the brain um, handle uh, function words versus content words, because his prefrontal cortex was uh, blown out the top of his skull. He lived, and he could say things like door, 
dog, he could use nouns, he could use people's names, but he couldn't connect them and he couldn't use lots of the social words. So what I'm saying is, like, there's nothing wrong with a character having, using a high frequency of um, function words like this. This is someone who is good, maybe it implies someone who is good at gauging other people, is good at gauging, is, is, you know, people who are more socially aware use more function words. However, first four was a bridge too far. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also a cliche, isn't it? Or yes. First four revenge? Yeah, yeah it, yeah, it is. And I know when you're writing something that's like tickling the edge of pastiche, the temptation mm. is, to like, is to like go in for things like that because it sounds like it fits the voice. Mm. But actually, you can... Well, what, what, would make, what would be quite fun about making that cut is that you've got a kind of fluting, mediumly high fluting start to the sentence. This, he determined, was an inconvenience that would have improperly managed disrupt revenge or disrupt his revenge. So, like, you could have a bit of that kind of, like, the sentence goes out quite wide and then you come back and you end it quite punchy. That's quite a punch. That's a, I mean, that is a frigging good sentence. Actually, I, I do feel now, I know I'm advocating for my own cut, right? But, like, I, when you read it back, this, he determined, was an inconvenience that would have improperly managed disrupt his revenge. That's feel, that feels like just a 10% more punch. And 10% more punch on a first couple of sentences, that's a big thing. Right, let's move on. Filthy and exhausted, he slumped beneath the limb of an oak and pondered the bullet lodged in his arm. How do we feel about this second paragraph, Joe? I'm, I'm into it. Are you not into it? I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I mean, like, no, 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 like, no. Thank you for I checking that. Yeah, no, so I was, again, I was thrown off by the capitalised trees. It just felt that they were, like, springing up Come in my on, face. Come on, let's just move on. Let's okay, play. okay. <laughs> like, but I love the specificity. All right, then, okay, like, um, let's break out crunchy specificity. I think it feels like it's early in the evening for me to say <laughs> crunchy specificity. I love that, you, that it's named the oaks, uh, uh, the trees, that we don't just have trees beneath the limb of a tree. Oak and elm gave way to use. There's a lovely cadence to that. I... I, I it, but I just feel, right, but, so you're going to, like, I don't want to harp on about the capitalisation. <laughs> Joe, when you gave me feedback on, 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 on my work, you were like, when, you were like don't capitalise stuff. Like, it's too fantasy. It's like, it's like... I agree, uh, but what I'm saying is we've already said it. Okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, how did you feel? Do you feel like it gets away with jackdaws tumbled overhead, jack-jacking? in the last of the light, because I really like that as a phrase, mm. but does it fit the voice? I, I, I'm not sure it, it does quite. And, and there is a bit of voice drift in this, in this page where you feel like it isn't quite consistent. Like, looking at that line and also the line that follows it, which is, Oak and Elm gave way to use hoarding the coming night like old guilt in the mind. Does, old, like, old guilt in the mind work as a simile, right? Because I am completely 50-50 on the fence with that. I don't think it works. I think it feels... It, for me, it feels like it's, it's just reaching for something very deep I've and, written, and, and doesn't quite hit, hit it. I've written... How many of those... Types of simile have you written in a first draft and then deleted? Yeah, because of course. For me, well, it's, it's, it's like every single. Well, that, then that's a darling, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I think you're right. Like I write those ones all the time. And the way you said reaching for something profound, yeah. I do that all. Like I like go. 
He walked through the park, birds flying through the air, like strange governesses. <laughs> like, I know, I know when I've done it, because I'll always put like, like some strange psychopomp. And it'll always have strange. Some is good, isn't yeah. it? That's, that, yeah, that, that, it's that's like, a good not a specific one. Like, you know, obviously not, not everyone. I'm just like saying, but like, we understand, like, it's, yeah. So, because here's what happens if you take out that simile. Now, Joe has got like a rule of thumb that he's sort of said to me that I now just apply religiously, and it is a rule of thumb, which is um, no more than one simile or metaphor a page. That's what you've suggested to me, and I've cut down my similes and metaphors as a result, and it's, uh, it always means that you basically take all your similes and metaphors on a page and make them fight, and whichever the strongest one is survives. It's like, it's like baby sharks in the belly of the mother. <laughs> what? If you, what? what? <laughs> this is like a piece of science I don't know, Joe. It's so horrible. So, so within the belly of... I guess it must be the Great White, I'm not sure which shark, but there is a, a kind of battle royale. And then when the baby shark is born, it's already eaten its siblings and is ready to kill. This, that song has totally lied to me. What, the baby shark song? Yeah. <laughs> it just says, I mean, it, I do, it does say run away, like that's a part but of it. The like baby it. shark song has many other problems. The, 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 <laughs> the, the, the mother shark is the big shark, not the daddy shark. Like, in, in the song, you know, that... that so we might, this might be like deep lore, but for anyone, does everyone here know the baby shark song? Oh, no. Okay. No, we won't. Let's, let's, let's kind of like steer away. If you've like kept like culturally like That's, free of that, yeah, then, you should, I, then you bless should. you. It's got over a billion hits on YouTube. It's, um, in any case, let's go back to this. Right, so because here's what happens. Look, oh, if we take away that simile, which just has... I'll tell you why it's a weak simile as well. Like, like guilt is an abstract noun, mind is an abstract noun. So it's like, it's like going, it, it, it goes like a, like a concept, like a kind of philosophical concept that has no tangible thing for your, any of your five senses. A concept, in, a concept in the concept, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's not a good thing to do with a simile. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like going like platonic love. Mm. Like courtly romance, like it's not a good way to use it. It's a, so here's what happens if you cut it out. Oak and Elm gave way to use hoarding the coming night. But so then we end, then we end up coming night. No, I, I, I disagree. I, yeah. <laughs> well, also, but then, Oak, then, and, Oak and Elm gave way to use, like, what it, that suggests travel. And as far as I'm aware, uh, Tobias is filthy and exhausted. He's slumped beneath the limb of an oak. Where does he, where's the movement coming from? And I, mean, I mean, he's implied, like, he's just, I thought he was just kind of like, He's just panning the camera, right? Like, he's just going, oh, fuck, oh. And then he's, like, looking and going, yeah. and then he's just tracking the kind of, like, Tory party symbol of, like, this low kind of, like, oak. And then he's, like, going elm all taller. taller. And he's like, whoa. You 100% like, did not think that. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. I'm just, like, really married to this, to this paragraph ending oh. with, no, the coming night. No, I totally disagree. Uh, uh, cool. <coughs> well, uh, can I just say what I agree with your analysis, but I just say the reason I like hoarding the coming night is because the coming night is like threat and a sense of like it's getting darker. Like he's like he's in shit, but it's like getting. We've already, later. We've already got that, and I think a much stronger image of of. Well, I would edit this slightly as well, but dusk flooded between the trees, drowning the wood in darkness. I think you can get rid of between. So dust yeah. flooded the trees, drowning the wood in darkness. That's, it's simpler, it's stronger to me. I can see it more. 
I think that, that does a job, and, it's, and it doesn't have that weird sense of travel that, that the other sentence has. Um, so I would argue for that, that being the end of the paragraph yeah, line I, and, um, and getting rid of the... Or, yeah, and, and getting rid of the current cool. final one. I would, I, would, I would say the polar opposite. I would cut dusk flooded between the trees, drowning the wood in darkness, and just go straight to Jackdaw's tumbled overhead. But, but we know that both of those two sets are doing the same thing, mm -hmm. and so one must die. Uh, cool. Right. <clears throat> Tobias composed his thoughts and realised he must never be found. So I'm not deliberately like doing... I'm, I'm like trying to do it justice. Not, I'm not trying to do like a pastiche of the line. Um, this he knew above all else. Can you, will you talk a bit about this paragraph, how you felt on this? Because this feels yes. like the, the voice definitely comes back. We get the voice from the first paragraph. Yes, here. yes, that's right. Um, well, the, the, there's a problem with those first two lines. Tobias composed his thoughts and realised he must never be found. This he knew above all else. It's a strange... That second sentence is problematic because this he knew above all else undercuts what we've already established that we thought he knew above all else that he's seeking revenge it was like oh yeah for me for me <laughs> yeah. that for me that <laughs> that wobbled his 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 kind of motive mm. which was super clear in that in that first paragraph um and for me all the interesting language and the kind of information comes from the third sentence onwards so i would uh, argue for just cutting those first two sentences and starting with if the policeman came to Appledore Hall, they would think it was he that killed Lord Faraday. If the drovers caught him, they would shoot him on sight. And I, I love the rhythm of that. It's full of like, great words and... Cut in record time, because like, nobody has been like, establishing records of how quickly a butler can <laughs> plan to cover up. Like, it's just a cliche, right? It's just, me it's just like... It's like, in, in, it's like he hasn't... But cliches are weird. Like, I totally didn't... didn't you, you're absolutely right. I didn't notice that. Isn't that weird the way cliches can go completely under the... Yeah, so it's just, de it's just dead word. It just right. like goes into... like Your brain just processes it it's as like, like the Charlie Brown teacher. Yeah. Just goes... Brap, brap, brap. Um, Tobias concluded that buckshot would not help matters. That, to me, was a joke that failed. Like, I don't... It's like... It, uh, to me, I don't, like, I don't like that line. I would cut it. Mm. It's like... He's like, he's like going, he's concluded that being shot would be bad. Like, I know, but like, it just takes away some of the, it just like, it just like veers into farce, but doesn't commit to farce. I think that's and right. it makes, I just would like him to just be like going, oh shit, I don't want to be shot. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. It, it's just, a, it's just. Not, not, not every sentence needs to have the kind of arch uh, sort of like. Yeah, and again, it's doing different thing. It's doing different things. If the drovers caught him, they would shoot him on sight. You don't need to like add like a Rodney Dangerfield style like like collar tug. Like, um, then another thought, thought struck. Don't need to set up. Like, just tell us the thought. Like, we'll read it. We're about to hit the thought striking. That has the same function for me as suddenly. It's like suddenly. Well, you. It's not sudden now because you've gone. Something sudden's about to happen. No one would believe that the butler of all people would set to, out to avenge his master. <clears throat> Any thoughts? My feeling about that was that was like a slightly clumsy way of telling us that this is the butler speaking. And it's <laughs> what's called in the um, Turkey City Writers Lexicon um, as Burley Detective Syndrome, where um, you describe, um, you have like a named character, and then you go, the Burley Detective crossed the room. But, like, basically, it's telling us that this character, Tobias Bloom, is the butler. I already kind of guessed that he might be a butler. Did um, you? 
Yeah, I think... <laughs> I got, like, Where Tobias get... Bloom, and if the policeman came, they think it was he that caught, killed Lord Faraday. I just felt like... Am I absolutely gaslighting myself into, like... <laughs> did I just read Butler and then go back and went, I always knew he was a butler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> OK, fair enough. I, I just think, basically, I got, like... No one be would believe the butler, of all people, would set out to avenge his master. It's just describing... It, did, you, did you immediately get that he's talking about Lord Faraday and himself? Y yes, I did, yeah. OK, yeah. I'm just... No, OK, so I'm having a completely... I think, I think it's a fair point about... The Do you know what I mean? Dropping Butler in, feeling a little bit um, clunky, but you know, we, it's helpful. I, you know, I, I want to I want to know that piece of information. And then the, the sex, the, the, sec, the next line: a gentleman of standing in the twilight of his life, resigned to his duties with fierce dignity. Was he now aligned with bloody retribution? Um, I like that. I think resigned to his duties with fierce dignity is really nice and characterful. I would change, was he now aligned with bloody retribution? Because it isn't the sense, how could he be aligned with bloody retribution? Isn't, isn't that the point? That being a butler, it will be impossible for anyone to imagine that, that, he, that he could have done it. Whereas, was he now, seems a strange Yeah, I, I feel like, actually, that there's something cool about the butler, even at this early point, just basically being a bit like... I think it would be better if he was holding down the whole bloody retribution thing and going, this is what's got to be done. Like, he's like, I'm going to have to go and do this. You know, a butler's work is... You know, I actually think it would be more horrifying if, if Tobias was less aware yep. of how horrific it well, is. It's, a, it, it's, it's like, it's a bloody mess I'm going to have to clean up. It's a very, like, uh, remains of the day sort of... You know, you can have a... I, I think that's right. You know, this character is set up to, like, have... The, you know, we've got, already got the mannered language, and you just want a bit more manner in his um, emotions, I guess, or, mm. or, or in his motivations, so that he can be a bit kind of um, overly polite about things. I, I, ju I just think he's like use, used to clearing up other people's mess and mm. turning a blind eye. And I'm not like trying to oh, like force him into a shape, but I just think it makes me less invested and scared by the threat of bloody retribution when the butler steps in to say that, mm. than basically be implied in a kind of horror in the background. He has got, like, a bullet in his leg. You don't need to, like, step it... Right, so can we, let's just move on, because I'm, I'm conscious yes. of time. Above his head, a slight waft of air, such as you would get... Um, I presume there's, like, a from meant to be in there, from a coy Georgian ladies fan at a ball. Yeah. Thoughts? Yes, yeah, similarly... Problem. <laughs> that... It really threw me, the coy Georgian ladies fan at a ball. If that simile is intended to position this story in a particular world, which I guess it probably is... Um, it must be po post-Georgian, right? Because Well, that's it. I, I guess I just don't know. It made me really confused. I thought, if it was Georgian, then you wouldn't say Georgian. Exactly, yeah. Right? Um, and in which case, it seems like an odd thing to call back to. Um, it just really, it felt very deliberate, but at the same time, I couldn't quite work out what it was trying to do. I, I felt like he was a bit of a swing and a miss for me. I would say, above his head, a slight waft of air, an owl was aloft. Yeah, and, and, and that seems... It's cool. You don't, need to, you don't need to kind of, like, paint legs on the snake. But also, would you feel the waft of an owl? <laughs> would you feel I... an owl's waft? I think that would be... 
I mean, that seems unlikely. That's like proper like ninja training, right? If like like if, like an owl beats like one wing beat overhead, and you go and like look <laughs> up in the woods. That suggests that 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 Tobias is like a fully trained assassin. <laughs> like, he's yeah, been he's shot, got, he's but been he's sh killed like an entire stately home where the people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, he's bleeding from the leg. He's filthy and exhausted, and he's his senses are. Subtle enough to feel. No, I, I, I think you're right. It's that's absolutely bananas that you would feel like an owl's wing beats in the air. You might see it mm. or hear it, but like the idea that you wouldn't see it, he hasn't seen or hear, heard it. It's, it's just a, it's it's, a, it's about focus as well, isn't it? Like we're in quite a tense situation, stakes are high, and then suddenly, not only is he feeling an owl's waft, but he's also. Um, relating it to the uh, fan of a Georgian lady at a ball. It just feels like his mind has gone... And, unless that's totally central to the character, you're going to dive into that weird thing where he's in pain and suddenly he, he imagines himself in a Georgian ball, which could be cool. Yeah, he's um, bleeding out, he's, like, delirious. But I don't feel that that's what's happening here. Because, uh, like, far ahead he heard the cattle moving. Like, like, he doesn't hear the cattle moving and go... Like ladies and gentlemen bowing. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, like, like yeah. branches crackling and the slow drumbeat of hooves. I like that. I like that, but I like it because there's no simile getting in the way. Um, he too must be subtext now, something present but unseen. The body would be found soon, and he would be long gone. Hmm. Can we any comment? Any closing comments? On this? It's it's tonally a little different. Like he he too must be subtext now. I think in another story, I. I actually like the sentence, but it feels a strangely meta moment in a story that doesn't seem like it has that tone. But um, I like those three final sentences. Yeah, I, I feel like the idea of a butler being something present but unseen is a cool line. I don't think you necessarily need to step into subtext. And again, I'm just going to go because it's my last chance to say, I think the capitalization of subtext made me re read that as teletext when I did my first yes. part, <laughs> pass on it. I couldn't help it. Mm. And then I was like, oh, no, subtext isn't a... Anyway, um, and he would be long gone. Overall thoughts about how this works as a first page? I think it works. I'm going to... No, maybe that's not fair. I don't think it works, but the, the core... <laughs> Quite a reverse. Joe, you just listen, like you listen, like laid out, you like listen, lifted the cloth, and then you were like clanged it down on their hand. What I'm, no. is, what I'm saying is, it works in at the deepest sense. It works because there is a working story within it. Um, there are various things that are making it not work right now, but they're totally fixable. I think the actual essentials of this character in this moment, in this bit of peril, are. Good. Yeah, and I think you actually alight on something really important, which is like when you're having like a shit day with your writing and you go, ugh, this isn't working. You might be right, but actually the things that aren't working are often like discrete, fixable things, but you go, this story is fucked. Mm. Actually, what's going on here is there's like a, a character who's interesting in a compelling scene of peril. There's some interesting things with the voice and language because like the language is being ambitious like there's points where it overreaches and fails but that's because it's trying to be interesting and entertain us on the line which is a great thing and I think you're absolutely right like it's not working now but like structurally and fundamentally 
yeah, I would be interested and I feel like there's something to work with here. Um, does anyone in the um, audience have uh, any thoughts, anything we've missed, anything, any disagreements? By the way, don't worry if you don't have anything to say. Like, I'm not going to, like, stare at you as this, like, increasingly awkward silence happens, but I just want to... Yes, please. Uh, I definitely agree when you reference Remains of the Day. It kind of seems like... Uh, like Sorry, we've got a, um, a mic. Thank you very much. Day reference. It sounds like a sort of a, the butler from Remains of the Day, but unleashed. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like it's like it's like Stevens in sicko mode. <laughs> I do think there is some brilliant description in this. A really sort of gothic and sort of sharp and quite deep and cutting. You know, like dusk flooded the tr between the trees, drowning the wood in darkness, the, and the jackdaws tumbling. I would definitely, like, I would end it at the jackdaws. I think, and then the owl again. Uh, I feel there's quite a gothic sense to it with all this description and these dark nature um, sort of descriptions. So definitely, I'd say put the owl in there. But yeah, maybe he sees or he hears the owl. Yeah, yeah. I would like say like an owl was a laughed, right? So that's using like the like the verb to be, um, and it is static portraiture. It's not like saying that an owl flew across the trees. We're given an owl was a loft. We're invited to see it as hanging in the air. And the, the phrasing actually reminds like the kind of the devil was abroad. It like suggests the owl is a loft. Like, and, and that is a cool sentence, right? It's cool, but it's just, he doesn't have to like sense like, whoosh, an owl and then there's like, like a little manga shing and he looks up and we get like the owl because that takes away but yeah that's great those are all fantastic ones anyone else yeah. yes uh, I really liked it um, I felt agreed with a lot of your comments but I thought it really reminded me of the seven deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle and the like the capitalizations and the mention of subtext was what called that to mind to me but I think it suggested to me something that was doing something interesting with the cozy crime genre that might kind of twist that genre into something a little bit more sci-fi and modern, so that would make me more interested to read on those odd capitalizations and the mention of subtext. Hmm. Cool. How does yeah. it, if, if, if it's not, uh, how is it used in, in the seven deaths? I mean, it's not that they use like words like that, but the whole thing is that you've got this setting which feels like a, um, a, a, a big Victorian house which they keep coming back to, and but the main character is um, comes alive in every different person in the house's body. So it really twists the genre and there's a real sci-fi element of the book. And I think this, for me, makes me feel like it's something that knows its genre in the way that book does, but is also completely twisting the genre. Oh, so you were a me... So basically, your antennae were up. You were like, something is going on here that is not going to be, like, clear until we go into it a bit more. And then, so then, all that stuff that we were saying about seems like strangely aware of the environment although that might be that might be completely conscious and deliberate and this person has amazing perception because they're not entirely awesome um, any, any other thoughts okay let's move on to the next one right. Can we have the uh, next one up please joe would you care to uh, read this this is by this is a piece by um karen and the title, the working title, is The Impermanence of Pencil. Um, as far as Isolde is concerned, there are few things more disgusting than the sounds of people eating. And there's possibly no worse place to endure those sounds than when trapped on a stationary train. The 809 has stopped outside Kidbrook. The window is fogged with condensation, and she's fighting the urge to clear a patch with her sleeve. 
the idea of the condensed breath of the other commuters soaking into the thin wool of her cardigan makes her feel sick. The man sitting beside her is sucking the juice from an apple core. Slowly, she pinches her right thigh between her thumb and forefinger, enjoying the relief as the anger subsides. He leans forward and calmly deposits it in the metal bin between their seats, and she empties her lungs through her nostrils. But it's not over yet. On his lap, like an unexploded bomb, sits a packet of crisps. And not just any crisps, they're McCoy's. One of, the most, one of the more offensive varieties with their brittle ridges and wood-like density. Eating on public transport really should be banned. It's almost as antisocial as doing a poo at work. <laughs> it's 8.47, time to call Pete. Hello, news desk. The nasal way he answers the phone like he's asking a question never fails to elevate her blood pressure. It's Issy. I'm going to be late. I'm stuck on the train. Kidbrook? Yes, why? Have you heard something? He finishes what sounds like a mouthful of biscuit, probably a Garibaldi, and swallows loudly. Her toes curl inside her shoes. Thanks, Joe. Um, so, I sort of I suppose we can start with the beginning as well, with this opening sentence, because I, I love, like any of you who've listened to the podcast before, I like, love breaking down opening sentences. I think they're just... One, because they're carrying such a disproportionate like, weight of the reader's expectation. I think you can overthink them, but I think... It, and two, because often you get so much of the voice in there, such a microcosm of what the novel's going to be. Um, so as far as Isolde is concerned, there are a few things more disgusting than the sounds of people eating. Your thoughts on that as an opening bid? I, I wrote yes, exclamation mark, at the side there. That is, that is strangely, like, uh, that, that, that's strangely ambivalent, Joe. I'm going to need a more... <laughs> say what you mean. <laughs> and I think I still feel that way. I feel sli- slightly less infused on, on second reading. Um, but but your, first, your first pass was like, yeah, cool, I'm into this. That's right. And, and what I liked about... Those first three paragraphs, I guess you can't see the paragraphs here, but right through to wood-like density, is it was quite a bold and fun jump into the mind of Isolde. And it was sustained and pushed further than I expected expected it to be. And when in that second paragraph it starts to riff on the idea of the condensed breath of the other commuters soaking into the thin wool of her cardigan, I was really, really into that. Um, so it... it, it I guess it really put me with the character, and I felt very happy to be in her company. Um, yeah. I've got, like, so many thoughts. I'm, like, bursting there, like, bur- coming out my pores. I'm, like, like I'm actually steaming with thoughts, right? <laughs> so, here's, so I'm going to say a bunch of stuff, and then I'm going to just, like, say something that makes all of it redundant. Right, so as far as Isolde is concerned, there are a few things more disgusting than the sounds of people eating. Okay, but... Um, as far as Isolde is concerned, it's nice that we introduce a character, we get a character name, we know who this story is about. That's always really useful to start locating us in at least a somebody. Um, as far as Isolde is concerned, there are a few things. So my suggested changes were to cut there are, because uh, uh, we're immediately just getting into kind of doughy, like grammatical cartilage that is like there are, it's just like, it's so early on and we've already had... A, as far as the first three words are, fun- uh, are function words, is 
as far as is. So like out of those four, uh, out of those um, uh, first six words, four uh, function words, there's only is old and concerned, which is like a very abstract uh, verb. And I just like, I just love crunchy specificity. I love going into it and giving me something that I, my brain can just bite. And that doesn't give me anything to grab onto. And then we follow up with there are, and then few, and then things. The most, the most vague noun in the, in the existence since, since Gutenberg. Like, and more disgusting than than the, so more, and then sounds, so again, another vague noun, of people, just the general class of people, eating, I'm like, oh my god, eating, like, feels like, I was just like, yes, like, finally, we're lighting on something that has some kind of register, and I, I, it sounds like I'm taking the piss out of that sentence, and I'm not, because I do this all the time, it's so hard to, like, and this scene gets down into amazing, like, drills down into amazing specificity, amazing sensory detail later on. And I think I'm just trying to draw a contrast between what this is doing, which feels like a little bit of nest circling, and then when it actually gets down into it, where I'm like, yes. When we get to those, like, frigging McCoys, their brittle ridges and wood-like density, I get so much character out of that. Like, yes, it's a good description of McCoy's crisp, but that isn't just it. It's a great perspective. I'm like, this is telling me someone who is not, not very, possibly not very well, but like they're struggling. And I genuinely, that's when they went from being a curmudgeon to somebody who is actually struggling with being on this train. And like, I, again, like as someone who suffers from an anxiety disorder, I'm like, always like, my people. Oh. But I like, that was actually a point of deep sympathy for me. But this first sentence is just like, it's just like laying down the kind of like mat and going, this is the general area that like, this is the general topic that we're gonna be dealing with. So if I were going to try and save that sentence, I would at least change it to as far as Isolde is concerned, few things sound more disgusting than people eating. You can cut out some of those words, you can move sound to be the um, active, the main verb of that sentence. So at least we're going, it's gonna be auditory instead of there are just like this general thing. Um, and then we go, and there's possibly no pl worse place to endure those sounds than when trapped on a stationary train. I'd say, and there's, I would cut possibly, so, and there's no worse place to endure those sounds than when, right? Here's another problem with that. It's, uh, there's no worse place to endure those sounds than when. So we've gone, there's no worse place, that's a location, than when is a, is a temporary, is a locating it temporarily. And maybe, like, people are looking at me like I'm absolutely lost in my mind. Do you understand why that, like, gets on my... It's not that, like, it's, no one struggles with passing that sentence, right? You understand what it means, but your brain kind of trips up on it because it's saying there's no worse place to endure those sounds, so we're, it's a, there's possibly no worse place, possibly this, like... This like fudging word that goes, I'm not committing to this is the worst place, just in case I get letters writing in going, oh, I think I can think of, like we, I, I know that these, I know that we're suggesting voice, I know it's close, close third person, but all of these things are just havering and, they, and we need more punch. There's no worse place to endure those sounds, so we've told it's gonna be a place, than when, back to time, then, then we need a place, that, 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 what it should be is there's no worse place to endure those sounds than on a stationary train. Now I know you want to get the word trapped in there because that feels like actually the key feeling, but the phrasing of that sentence just 
it's hurts. It well, you, hurts. It, 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 it's if you you know it's there in a stationary anyway, isn't it? I, I mean, stationary. It suggests it could be at at a station, but if you some if you could get in there that it's you know stopped between or, you know, or held at a fault, whatever it is, like get a sense that you are you are trapped without having to. Um, say that. But here's what happens, Joe. If we just cut that entire first paragraph, then we start, the 8.09 has stopped outside Kidbrook. So immediately specific, and we're on a train, right? And, it's, and then the window is fogged with condensation, full stop. Isold is fighting the urge to clear a patch with her sleeve. Three sentences, specific place. We're in a narrative present instead of just talking about, like, a condition. And then and we're in a moment. And she's fighting... She's fighting the urge to clear a patch with her sleeve. That, to me, is... I don't want to, like, move from, like, being sort of, like, overly picky to, like, being, like, a kingmaker, but, like, that is such a sophisticated sentence. She's fighting the urge to clear a patch with her sleeve. Immediately, my brain is going, why? To me, that's a great fucking character hook. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good edit. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, now, um, let's mo can we move on to um, the, man's, the, the third paragraph on a thing? A man, the man sitting beside her is sucking the juice from an apple core. What are your thoughts about um, this paragraph? Um, that was striking. I wrote, wow. But is that something you can do? Can you suck the juice from an apple core? So... Interestingly, I thought, like, she's sucking an apple core. Like, the man, man's sucking an apple... So, for me, it just emphasised... Yes, I think you can. I don't think there's much juice in it, but it emphasised that he's really vampiring it. Yeah. And also, it was like, her perception is that he's sucking the juice from an apple core. Mm. I think juices are, like, a nicely... Sort of, like, semi onomatopoeia Yeah, it has a hint of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, slowly... The only thing I would say is, I was like, a man sits beside her, sucking the juice from an apple core. That would be my suggestion. I think there's maybe slightly too many present continuous things in here. Um, slowly, she pinches her right thigh between thumb and forefinger, enjoying the relief. I would cut as the anger subsides. I, I just enjoying the relief. Like, I, I think that's okay. We I don't agree. need yeah. to know. And I also don't think her anger has actually subsided. I think immediately she reveals it has not at all. She's really <laughs> fucked up. Um, he leans forward and calmly deposits it in the metal bin. Problem is, with that pronoun, is the last thing we actually saw was her thigh, like the apple core was the sentence before. So it sounds on a first pass like he's depositing her thigh in the... No, no, nobody passed it like that, but your brain just does like a little hiccup when it hits the line. So I just think there's a pronoun confusion there. The deposits the remains or deposits the apple core. Yeah. Um, she empties her lungs through her nostrils. Were we good? Is there any, have you got any other issues with this paragraph? Joe? I think it's a strong one. Um, I don't have... Do you have more issues? No, um, no, I don't actually, no. I'm kind of like, okay, I, I felt like Like an Unexploded Bomb possibly was broadly comic, but when I actually heard how it played in the room, I feel like the general consensus, we can ask in a sec, was that that worked. Um, Eating on tra public transport really should be banned. Um, I want to know how you felt, because I've never heard like, such a kind of like classy, nuanced reader of your own work, Joe. I heard you read the phrase, doing a poo at work, and it was a personal joy for me to hear oh, you God. deliver that sentence and lend it like, 
quite a lot of gravitas. Well, I was. But how do you feel about that as a joke? I feel very, very bad about that as a joke because, well, as so you, doesn't as like you, any mention of feces, by the way. I'm, I'm really. I'm, I know it's normal not to like feces, but I really don't like it. Um, <laughs> it's it's evolutionary function not <laughs> not to like it, but. Um, I saw that sentence coming. In fact, as I read almost from the first words, it was just glaring <laughs> at like me. like in your peripheral vision, yeah, you like yeah. registered a threat. You like may, you may, if, you can li- radar. if you can listen back to it, I played it very neutral, that, that, <laughs> that sentence. Um, I think that I don't want to see the word poo in, 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 a, in a novel. Um, I can't quite work out whether my dislike of that, those two sentences comes from my personal foibles. You make it sound like there's a backstory to it, too. <laughs> the way you sound it, it's like there's like a supervillain. It's like Batman's origin story. <laughs> They're like, oh, Joe's parents were like killed by a poo in like an alley. Like, <laughs> it's like Joe wakes from like nightmares. Where, like, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no, I mean, like, no, I, I, so it, it might just be two on the nose. Poo on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think if, if I'm going to swerve away into trying to find some writing, writing-based yeah. reasons, no, no yeah, yeah. But, but but like I felt like it might, it might be too much. It is certainly going very. It's not holding back from going for something. Yeah, yeah. Is I it d- too much? I just think we don't need it. Like basically, the, the, the end of the previous paragraph, the brittle ridges and the wood-like density. We basically completed really effectively our riff on the character's dislike of people eating. And then it kind of does a little, like, less interesting uh, take on it. Eating on public transport really should be banned. It's almost as antisocial as doing it at work. That first sentence, and we know that, that, that she thinks that from the context. Yeah, right? We're it, not, like, going, she but thinks also really, eating public on transport is bad. Yeah, wow, I never got that from right, the previous right. paragraph. We know that. And My problem with it is, like, and this is going to sound really bad, but, like, is it antisocial to do a poo at work? Like, surely sometimes people need a poo at work. Like, is it, I, I feel now, like, is that, are we learning something about Have the character? I, I work at home, yes. I was going to say, all the time. <laughs> But, like, I don't have colleagues, so that's what I'm, now I'm understanding Throw if you have a communal to toilet and you poo at work, like, are people, like, secretly judging people who poo at work now? I feel is like there... there's, like, 30... I know my, my friend Ali goes across to the, the coffee shop over the road to do it. But that's just like outsourcing your poo. Like, it's fine. <laughs> okay, cool. But there's an interesting... Uh, so, um, and this final bit, this kind of like uh, uh, chat to Pete. Oh, yeah, like that is a big time jump from 8.09 yeah. to 8, uh, 8.47. I felt like... No, but, it, no, but it's, it's, it's the 8.09 has stopped outside Kidbrook. Oh, um, yeah, so we don't okay. actually know yeah, what time yeah, it is. Sure. Um, I thought that, well, I, I think you can cut those sentences we've been discussing, and it feels like this is the moment when some kind of conventional hook needs to come in. And I, and I guess we are getting that a little bit in that she's having to call in late, but it just didn't feel particularly interest, interesting to me. I thought at the very end, when you get the call back to the Garibaldi, I really enjoyed that. But this feels like it needs to be working harder, this bit of dialogue, and needs to kind of get us onto the, get some sort of narrative moving. 
Yeah, I mean, I felt like there was like a tingle of something's happened. Yeah. Um, I, w I know normally I'd be well up for toes curling inside the shoes, but I think we get that she's having... I just like... I've, I think the description of the Gar Garibaldi and the swallowing loudly, I didn't need to have a physical reaction. It just felt like it was a, a hat on a hat at that stage I because agree, we've had yeah. so many reactions from her. And actually, I just want to get on with knowing what's going on. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's better without that reaction because then you... Really clearly established how she feels about it. So it's just kind of uh, the fact that she doesn't say anything is almost like you can imagine her kind of like tensing up and m moving on. Sure. <laughs> Thoughts about this as a first page? Um, I think the character's really strong. I think there's some great humour and some great moments. It's just missing for me the sense of where this story is moving to. Like so, you, so you want some hint earlier on that makes us go... I you, you want your that, cortisol spiked if I'm going to go back into neuroscience. Yeah, yeah. That, it's you, quite, want, you want to have an like alert and go, what am I... What, something's it, wrong. It can be in a really small way, but I want a little bit more of... I guess what the previous story does very clearly in the first line, first two lines, I just want a little bit of that. I want a little bit more punch. The clock is ticking. The right. clock is ticking, right. Um, I really like the character. I feel like this might not be a humorous story. Like, I felt like this might be a kind of, like, story about a character who has got problems and is having to deal with them and that this condition might seem less funny as time goes on. Um, that's just me guessing the genre. I don't know. But, like, that's... I was, like, going... I actually might be going into, like, a story which is playing it for some humour to begin with, but actually there's going to be like a genuine challenge that this character faces. Um, has anyone in the audience got any thoughts about or anything they'd like to contribute or anything that we've said? Uh, yes, you, sir. Thank you. Um, yeah, I really like the on his lap, like an unexploded bomb sits a packet of crisps line. I think that, like, we established the context of a train, so it goes to a really dark place and then comes back again. That's... And really yeah. puts you in the character's head. That's, that's a really, I think that's a really, really good, good point. Um, do you know what? I've just realised something. I think I like slightly withdrew from that line because of the implied attack on McCoy's, which I quite like. <laughs> and I think part, I genuinely think part of me like felt like a little bit like it. I was like, oh, come on, guys. I, I like McCoy's. Anyway, yeah, thank you. That's a really good point. Um, any other... Uh, so the poo problem... Uh, um, I'd like to solve it for Joe D. Um, I think if you said, because pooing at work is divisive, so when you read that you go, am I supposed to agree or not? Whereas if you said using the toilets at work, you go, oh, she's definitely got an issue, right? You make the example more banal, because a lot of people don't poo at work, it's normal. Yeah, it's that, normal. That's a re if, if it was said it's almost as antisocial social as using the toilets at work, I would go, this person has like a genuine issue that's a big swerve though isn't it from like if you if you if you're horrified by people using the toilets at work that's quite a, like a big block the, the problem is pooing from my <laughs> poll work is like 50 50 so it's really hard to establish a baseline <laughs> Say that again, sorry. like a lot of people think pooing at work is bad i, I personally think it's, that's weird but like a lot of people don't like you to poo in an office yeah okay that's, that's very common so you're saying it's it's, so saying, it's actually not that, that much is, of a characterful is, thing to say i'm saying it's difficult to tell to know like What's the narrator saying? Is this a weird thing for her to reference, or is it a normal thing? Like, I, I, yeah, I, 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 like, I, I agree know, with you 100. percent I just, I, I just love like that we're this is where we are, and, and I go, I feel like people say, you know, that like in 2019, 
like the discourse is dead. But I think it's clear that we still live in an age of civility where we can discuss contentious issues and listen and hear each other out. I agree with you. It's really difficult. And it's always, and it's always a choice, like as an author, whether you completely get rid of the ambiguity or whether you're kind of happy. I think doing a poo is like quite a... Um, lexical set swerve as well. Like I think, it, I think it's like doing a poem is like subconsciously comic language as well. Um, using the toilet is like more neutral. Um, awesome. Should we move on? Um, so the next one is by um, Sophie, and uh, can we um, have it up? And I'll, I will read it out. Um, and I think this one's untitled. Um, ben climbed up to the old hillfort. His split knuckle dripped blood onto the summer dry earth. He tried not to think about it. All he needed was to be up where the Priscelli's stretched out around him. All he needed was to forget Darren's words. But it wasn't that easy. Instead of the ground, he saw Darren's face, blood gushing out of his nose and all down his school shirt. Ben had never hit anyone before. He hadn't expected it to be so deeply satisfying. His phone vibrated. He ignored it. He wasn't ready to be yelled, he wasn't ready to be yelled at by his da, or even worse, to have to deal with what Ben privately called his understanding face. He didn't want to talk about any of it, not to his da, not to the useless school counsellor, none of it. He just wanted to be alone up here with the feel of the wind picking up as he climbed higher. By the time he reached the tumbled stones of the fort, he was panting and sweat trickled between his shoulder blades. The view was heat haze, blurred, the hills turned purple by the distance. It was his view, his and Mam's alone. Look, it's as good as ever, he murmured to the empty hilltop. No winter and no snow, but good. Thinky thoughts, opening thoughts? Thinky thoughts. I'm not totally clear on, 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 on how I feel about this. There's a part of me that feels disappointed to come to this story immediately after the interesting thing happened. Um... Instead of the ground, he saw Darren's face, blood gushing out of his nose and all down his school shirt. Ben had never hit anyone before. I, I love that line. He hadn't expected it to be so deeply satisfying. I don't know. A, a part of me wishes I could have been there for that moment. Maybe the story will go back there, but I don't know. It just seemed slightly disappointing to begin in, in the, the bit after the bit, which the character is really like... Um, amazed by. The um, author Samuel Delaney, uh, aka Chip Delaney, describes this structure as what he considers the weakest um, form of the structure for an opening of a novel. Um, I'm not, uh, that sounds like I'm standing behind like one of the great grandmasters of science fiction to like land a really low blow on the writer here. I don't mean it like that. What I'm saying is like we've got the narrative present, then climbed up to the old hill fort. I love that as an opening line. I'd love old hill forts, and every word in that sentence is one syllable. Climbed, you know, is a long one syllable, but still. And it's just simple, right? And then his split knuckle dripped blood onto the summer dry earth. He tried not to think about it, right? If he's going to not think about it, I want to give us some breathing space from that. Let that be there, and then put us into this scene. Because, like, and I get criticised, right, in reviews for, like, being like a nature writing wanker and just going like, oh, and then there was a tree. And I, but I love this shit <laughs> so much. All he needed were, were be up where the Priscelli's. What, what is that? that? I don't. I that's think it's a mountain range. Yeah, stretched out around him. Right. I would cut. All he needed to forget was 
was to forget Darren's words. I don't think like the knuckle is enough. And then I just, I, I want a bit more nature writing. I don't want to skip <laughs> to, by the time he reached the tumbled stones of the fort, tumbled stones of the fort. I just feel like so alive reading that. that. I, I'm not even joking. I know you might think I'm lost my mind, but I, he was panting and sweat trickled between his shoulder blades. Lush. The view was heat haze, heat, heat haze blurred. That heat haze blurred, it's lovely cadence. Mm. It's like slowing down the sentence into blurred. The hills turned purple by the distance. Yeah, it was nice. his view, his and Mam's alone. So simple, so gorgeous. Mm. Look, it's as good as ever I put. I love this. I, I like he murmured to the empty hilltop. Like, I understand because it's in quotation marks that he's saying it. And, like, I have not imagined a chorus of, of observers around him. Like, I, you've described an empty hilltop. I'm not, like, populating it with, like, Sims going, Arr! like, I understand it's empty, <laughs> right? Like, but... That's lush. And this other stuff. So what um, Chip Delaney talks about is this um, where you start off with the first couple of sentences in the narrative present. Like, he ran along the street, uh, the sweat trip pouring from his head. He turned down an alley. He shouldn't have rubbed the bank. He should have never listened to three days before he'd been sitting on the toilet reading uh, the Times literary supplement. And, he, like, and, and, and it goes back to something. And what you've actually done is gone, I've got a really fucking boring set up for this story. So I'm just going to skip to the bit where something exciting's happened. And I'm going to snatch it away from you. To and I feel like it's putting the cart before the horse. And I don't mind the stuff about Darren, but I want to be up on that mountain first. Mm. And I want him to go... And then it starts to flood back in. Right. What about um, murmuring to the empty hilltop? Come back. To that. I, I did. I love the the heat haze blurred and that rhyme with purple. Half rhyme with purple. Um, so what's where's the half rhyme with purple? The view was heat haze blurred. The hills turned purple. Blurred purple. Okay. Um, just yeah. the rhythm of that is nice. And but it seemed. I guess you see it in films a lot, people talking to themselves. I mean, when characters are on their own yeah. and exposition needs to occur. Um, and it rang a bit false to me. I, I guess there's not a lot of exposition going on in that, in that dialogue, so it's just character. But, it, yeah, just it seemed a bit... It seems a bit felt... like Lionel out of Thundercats is, I think, the last great monologuist. Must reach sword, strength, <laughs> failing... Yeah, like, I know what you mean, but, like, I feel like if you're going to do it, you can't ha hang a lampshade on it and go, look, I know I'm doing this because he murmured to the empty hilltop. I feel like if he's going to do it, like, he can murmur, like, he can say, look, it's as good as ever, but then I just stop and the reader probably won't notice. But as soon as you go, he said to no one at all, which was weird because normally, like, a dialogue has an interlocutor and a recipient, but he was alone. Like, like I know, I know, just like sometimes you've just got to bullshit and roll over the, right, sometimes, like you hear the rattle in the car engine, just turn up the radio so we don't hear it, and the readers are, readers are thick, right? They, we, won't, they won't know, but don't draw attention to it, and I just feel like that was too much. Like, do, you think, do you think it would be better if, it, if there was more of that, if we had a little bit of dialogue? earlier to kind of get that no like all, what you're doing is all like about um 
credibility, Joe. Like, this is what you're, Joe's showing is like, Joe's about like, how can we make this feel real? How can we like do this with integrity? And I'm just like going, fucking just get it past the reader. Let's just like make it work. Let's not no, make but, this like, but, but like, if you I, establish that, like, the, the character talks to themselves. No, sneak it past. I would like, I would like not draw attention to it because I think it's like formally interesting to just, I just think like, look, it's as good as ever. We don't notice that it's, that's weird. And maybe he's addressing like his, I think his mum might, so I think his mum's dead. That's like me like jumping on, right? And he's talking to her, like not her ghost, but he's imagining talking to her. Yeah, I yeah. don't, I think that will be established later that he occasionally talks, but he's in this place that has a certain like sacredness to it. Yeah. And he's like, he's like saying, it's like well, Rocky talking to Adrienne's grave. Yeah, right? yeah. Going like, I did it. What, that was, what that about, is the least commitment I've ever made to an impression in my life. Yeah, and, well, hey, do you want to hear my Rocky impression? <laughs> well, Tim, that is like, it's like Stallone's in the room as Rocky, obviously. Sorry, go on, because I was like steamrolling over, over you. <laughs> you were. Um, yes, yeah, so... <laughs> There's a, 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 on our printout of this, there's three asterisks at the end, um, which implies it's a kind of section break. So maybe, do we need no winter and no snow, but good? Could it just be... No, I didn't like that as a... Could, could we just have on its own, as the end of this opening section, look, it's as good as ever? Yeah. And, and then, you know, later on you can start to build in about... The, the I think that would be a lovely opening scene and we don't need the explanation. Like, we've got a dripping knuckle. That's a, that's a great little gun on the mantelpiece, right? Mm. We don't need to go yet. And I realise when you're writing a first draft, you're sort of explaining the story to yourself. You, well, you're explaining the story to yourself. That's really, really uh, kind of... Uh, that's, how, that's how you write a first draft. But in the second draft, you can hold back a little bit more. Because um, I, really like, I really like this as a first page, but I just wanted to know less this early on, mm. like, make, give us some appetite and then you can start serving up dinner. Yeah. Can I just check, has anyone got any thoughts? Yeah. Thank you. Hello. Um, uh, there's so much... You did a thing on the, on the, on the podcast or in one of the writing things recently about, about negative um, yeah, sure. stuff. There's so much of that here, like things that he wasn't doing or didn't do or ignoring. And it's, it's like constantly telling, and particularly for a first page, I'm like, you're asking me to imagine lots of things that aren't happening. That's really, yeah. So it's like going, he wasn't ready to be yelled at by his dad. So it's like, imagine his dad sh shouting at him. Now imagine him being ready for that. Now he's not. So, so like, just get rid of that. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's a really important point that there's a bunch of abstract things. Um, yeah, and it's, um, it's, yeah, he, Ben had never, yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's a, quite a lot of kind of like conceptual cartilage to kind of like imagine and then mm. throw away. There's quite a lot of sentences starting the same way as, as well in that second paragraph. His phone, he ignored it. He wasn't, he didn't, he just, it was a little... Yeah, like, I felt like there maybe was like a little rhythm to that, but um, I think we're going to move on to the very final piece now. Um, and uh, just thanks very much to everyone for kind of like sticking with it. But we'll yeah, we'll do this last one. Do you want to read this one, Joe? Thank you. It's by Chantal, with no title. Danny nudges the tabs aside, eyes and fingers questing. She pauses and smiles. From the pile of dead tech, she lifts the Kindle. Cracks radiate from a corner of the screen, and most of the little keys are missing. 
But if the memory inside is undamaged, no matter. Bashir, the vendor, is busy chatting into his earpiece as he sits on his throne of a musty armchair. His hands rest on the curve of his walking stick. Danny glances at the battered talker on her wrist. She needs to meet Dad back at Helene soon. But Bashir is no man to be hurried, will probably ask a higher price if she interrupts. So she stands in the pool of sunlight by the glass door and closes her eyes, letting the warmth sink into her skin, relishing anew this time of year between the prying cold and inescapable heat. You found another one, Danny hears Bashir say. He's grinning, teeth yellowed or gone. She steps forward. Screens cracked. One rabbit? His lips becoming a horizontal line, Bashir looks at her over his glasses. You must speak in full sentences, Baki. Ah, my dear sir, I would like to buy this, but the screen is cracked. Therefore, will you take one rabbit for it, please? For your insolence, I require two. Danny bites the inside of her lip, hopes she looks contrite. I only have one, but it's a fat one, look. And I can give you the second one next time I'm in town. So I'm just going to like come out and say, like, from the beginning, like I fucking love this piece so much. I really, really like it. I've got some suggestions on ways it could be made better, but like I just think it's worth my saying from the beginning. Like I'm invested in this world and I'm interested uh, in it. Joe, how did you feel about it? I realise I've set you up now that anything you say <laughs> less than kind of like total. It makes you sound like mean spirited. Well, you also told me before you I'd read it. You're like, you're like I love the last one you said, <laughs> yeah. um, which inevitably makes me feel more, more cruel. Yeah, that's right. Um, there is a lot I love in this. I really love the rabbits. Um, what else did I... I, I, must, I, I didn't have loads of time, Tim. Okay, well, well my like, feelings... All right, so, like, basically, I really like... Um, she pours it... So, a really small question. Like, do Kindles have buttons? They used to. Okay, cool. So, oh, this is this is old Kindle. So the apocalypse happens before we've got to the current generation of Kindles. Cool. Um, no, I, I really, it's no, it's a good if only. If only. Um, um, so, I really like the feel of this world. I like the cadence of the sentences. I really, really like the line that I loved was like one of the reasons I love this is because it's like obviously in my wheelhouse, my genre, my kind of thing. So like I'm geeking out over it. That's certainly it's a little bit like when you're watching MasterChef and they make the first course scallops. <laughs> and well, like, every time they go, this is love scallops. Every time they always it's, just like it's scallops. the particular guy who loves scallops. Yeah, Greg just yeah, like, Greg yeah, fucking he loves, loves scallops. scallops. Yeah. and never notices like either he just like eats scallops and goes, it's brilliant. It's great just, scallops. It's great scallops. It's just an instant time. pass, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like scallopy. So like like cyberpunk is my scallops. Like I like if you put cyberpunk in front of me, I'll just go. I just great, great cyberpunk. Love this. What a great way to start. So I'm in already. So like there is a certain cushion of goodwill right. that happens. So maybe what I'm feeling is, is the opposite. I'm feeling like, oh, this is maybe outside of my, my zone. I'm feeling a little bit anxious. And, you know, like D Danny glances at the battered talker on her wrist, which I think is maybe the first real sense that we are in that world. I thought talker was like a good coinage. Are you? It's a you, great coinage. You, oh, no, it is. It's really good. But if we're talking about wheelhouses, Th that for me is, is, is making me feel like I'm, I'm 
entering a story <laughs> world, but I'm going to have to like, change my normal way of reading. Um, but I feel like, I, like, I feel like I've got a good sense of character here. I feel like there's some tension. I like that Bashir is no man where's to be the, hurried. Where's the tension? Because it feels like the tension is... There's a little tem tension in the conversation. Because she's having to... She's found something, right, in the junk. Bashir, to me... Like, maybe this is, like, genre literacy, but he is some kind of either like a junk lord or he owns an area where people can prospect is my assumption that if you find anything there then you have to go to him to sell it and he'll give you some stuff or either that or he just has the resources um but if you want to keep it you have to give him stuff right mm. this is his like plot mm. and she wants this um but it's gonna but he's he's an asshole like and we get this thing on his throne of a musty armchair so like in this world having like recovered from the remains an armchair that's like a sign of status to be sitting on a shitty old armchair and that's cool i'm not sure whether i'd like sits on his throne of a musty armchair does she know what an armchair is i don't know like i didn't know another way of saying that but um he's busy chatting in his earpiece his hands rest on the curve of his walking stick he i just get he's sitting down like again there's like there's great status dynamics in this scene right we've got one character sitting relaxed another having to go to him i loved the sense of like a form there's a way of speaking she knows like if you hurry him like he is yes, going to be an asshole yeah, that... and then it happens in another way she's too quick but we that's been set up and I thought that was very good. I feel like I'm not like contributing very much in terms of, I just think it's good. Like I think he's grinning, teeth yellowed or gone. Like there's a suggestion of like this world is, this is a crap sack world. That's, you said, you said genre literacy. I think all the things you've said are true. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I got all those things on a first read. Again, I, you gave me this with not a huge amount of time. But um, I really love the way that dialogue works. I wonder whether now you've proposed like some more of what you read into it whether well, this is that thing of like oh you know I'm not I don't read a huge amount of of fiction in this type of world and maybe it's just my my failing as a reader but I didn't get what you you're suggesting that somehow about the Kindle, it says, but if the memory inside is undamaged, no matter. Like, you've already jumped into that and, you're, and, and, and you have a sense that within it is some kind of very key part of, bit of data that the character is, is mining for. And I just totally, that passed me by. No, I just not thought, necessarily. I just think she's a scavenger and I think, like, she's constantly just going through these kind of, like, sites and pulling stuff up. And I've, I, like, I, I think she's just, like, well, she wants have... to, and she wants to put stuff together. She might be assembling, like, a full unit back. Yeah, right. She might have pieces. Can we have a bit more then? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to, like, spell out what, so, what the mission is, but... So, yeah, like, in, in sort of, like, in deference to your thing, I think that first sentence is probably, I think I've earned this by saying how much the rest of it is good, is probably a bit shit. Like, it's, it's like, not very... Nudges the tabs aside. I don't know really what that... No. What that... Nudges the tabs aside? That could be, she could be opening a box of cereal. She could be... Nudges be Pushing some cigarettes aside. Yeah. Like, I don't know what... That doesn't mean anything. Eyes and fingers questing 
weird combination of two things. It makes her eyes sound like they're jumping out of her head, going in. Like, th that's the worst line of it, actually. I reckon the rest of it I'm really into. So that could be more specific. That could get into something, give us um, something that engages one of our five sentences, abundant yeah, smell. Real, yeah. I'd love some smell in this. Um, uh, but, like... Something, some taste, something that just makes us go, mmm, like, be there. Because I feel that that is a drab opening line. But the rest of it just absolutely makes me salivate. I was like, oh, yes, I'm into this. I like it. But, again, like, I'm bringing so much knowledge. And the writer of this might go, Tim, you're totally barking up <laughs> the wrong tree. You are, that's nuts. But that's all of what I know about, like, crap tech, kind of, like, salvage things I'm like this is it like Bashir is like a lo like a shitty ass local kind of like tech lord and they've caught some rabbits so we know that there's like but there's not even this this is a fucking barter system like like society is fucked it's like look I've got <laughs> I've got a smelly armchair and I'm that's a fucking king. You've got a smelly armchair and there's no money anymore. There's like, you can talk, you can speak on an earpiece, but there's no money. All of those things are like, I'm filling in the world really quickly. I feel like I've... No. <laughs> it, yeah. I just felt like I was, I was off, off the pace. Yeah, and I feel like she's fucking lying in that last thing as well. I only have one, but it's a fat one look and I can give you the second. I wouldn't say second one, I'd say second next time in town. She's not gonna fight. No, no. She's fucking. She's, she's, this, is, this is her last score and she's bailing. Has anyone got any thoughts about, about this? Any, any different takes, anything like that? Hey, how do you feel about the line to meet dead back at Helen, to meet dad back at Helen soon? Because I bounce off Helen. Uh, third oh, because it sounds like it might be a name and it's not clear that yeah. you might go back to meet Dad. So that's really interesting. Danny glances at the battered talker on her wrist. She needs to meet Dad back at Helen soon. So I did... Well, actually, when I first read it through, I did have to read that twice because it introduces Dad as a character, which we haven't had before. So again, there's like this key other person. And then it says... And then you've got two words and then we get Helen, which sounds like a person. And then you're like... And then you reread it and you go, it must be a place. It's a... Mm. Uh, it, 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 uh, yes, I agree, like, it's a rough... I mean, like, I'm glad that the place isn't named something like had to meet Dad back at Scrabville. <laughs> and, like, oh, that would be shit, but maybe we need... But she needs to meet Dad. She needs to meet Dad soon. He'd be waiting back at Helen getting... Like, yeah, I agree that, like, those two things together... I did bounce off it. Like, I read it again and I was like, I parsed it fine. But maybe this early in the thing, you can't get away with that if you're trying to convince the reader of your authority. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Anyone else? I would just like to say um, thank you ever so much for everybody who's been... We're going to wrap up now, but thank you so much to everyone who submitted... Um, some work. Thank you to um, all of you for turning up and tolerating essentially like a discussion of, of, of like poo and grammar. <laughs> I think um, it's, it's both like laudatory of you and deeply damning. Um, I would like to just say thank you very much to um, Joe for being such an awesome. Can I have a round of applause for Joe? <laughs> 
If any of you aren't listening to the podcast, the podcast is Death of a Thousand Cuts, and it's available um, if you just search Death of a Thousand Cuts, then you can find it. There's over 150 episodes. Some are uh, interviews with authors. Some are just looking at people's work on the page. Some are uh, about me. Um, they're just me in a room, unscripted, talking about my mental health. It's like quite a roller coaster. Um, <laughs> But about all, all about story and things like that, um, I would love to have you as part of the gang. Um, and um, finally, me and Joe are about to go over and sit on that table with the sort of like grim uh, visaged um, appearance of um, presiding, like hanging judges, or I suppose I, I, I've used too many similes. Joe is telling me that I should have just <laughs> said we're gonna go over to that, that black, hard, <laughs> strange table. Um, I would love, my, my novel The Ice House has come out today, I would love if you came over and get a copy and I will sign it and then um, I would also love if you then are on social media, if you tweet Instagram and Facebook about it to create the sense that tonight had some kind of buzz that you were like cultural bellwethers on the bleeding, bleeding edge of, of literary-ness. Um, uh, but I would also just like to say hello to you because um, I am in desperate need of validation and very lonely. Um, thank you very much, everybody, and I hope you have a lovely rest of your evenings. Hello, Jake.